Hello, 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 my beautiful humans, and welcome back to The Better Hustle with Brittany Anderson, a guaranteed way to leave a legacy. I'm, of course, your host, Brittany Anderson, but y'all can also call me hashtag BA Boss Babe. And today I have a very, very, very special guest on the podcast. I'm so excited to share her message and her knowledge and all of her years of experience working and building businesses and consulting with businesses and literally every single aspect of businesses that you can possibly imagine. The one and only, the one and only Lisa Grossman. I am so blessed and so honored that she is one of my mentors in business, that she is also one of my uplines in my business as well. But more importantly than that to me is we have become family and her family is my family, my family is her family. Um, And so I just wanted to share a quick interview, more so actually a back and forth conversation between Lisa and I all about belief. And every tip that she gives you, what's so powerful about it is that it can not only be applied to your business, but it can also be applied to your life and your relationships as well. So as you can tell, I'm fired up. I absolutely love Lisa Grossman. She is an incredible human, an incredible business owner, business builder, all of the things. So I wanted to bring her on as a special guest of the Better Hustle with Brittany Anderson to share her knowledge and experience with you guys. So as soon as you guys get some value, do me a favor, screenshot this, share it in your Instagram stories and tag us both. We love y'all. We appreciate you and enjoy. All righty. First and foremost, I just want to thank you, Lisa, for joining me today. I know we have a business partnership, but even more importantly to me, we have a family relationship and I just love you and your family so, so much. And I was trying to think of someone, I'm like, who can I bring on to really pour into our audience about belief and you and Curtis paired together are, you have poured so much belief into me that I was like, there is no one better on this planet to talk about belief than you, Lisa. So, um, I just, I kind of want to kick it off with a question and then I want to just roll back and forth. I think we're very, very good about that. But my first question then just to kind of kick it off is why do you feel that belief is so important, not just in business, but in, in any dreams that we have or anything that we decide that we want in life, why is belief such a crucial part of that journey? Well, you know, it's interesting. You're, you know, you are a success story and you look at belief much the way that I do. It's a necessary ingredient of su- for success, but we all have beliefs and many of our beliefs are not self-serving. They are in fact leading us down the wrong road. So I think we want to clarify that by saying, you want to have beliefs that, that serve you well. And that's a question you should always say, is this belief serving me? Because a lot of people confuse belief, faith, and facts as being one and the same. And often they are. But really, facts are tangibles. And our interpretation of those facts are what our, are what our beliefs are. You know, um, in hindsight, I'll give you an example. A child learning to walk is is fun to watch. Yes. And they stand up and they fall down and they stand up and they fall down again and they stand up and they fall down and hit their face and cry for two minutes and they pull (laughs) themselves up on the furniture and they, you know, take, they walk around the furniture with their hands and then they fall down and then they let go of the furniture and they sort of go look like they're going to take a step and they fall on their face. And they keep doing it because inherently they believe, they believe with such certainty and knowledge that they're supposed to walk, that they just keep doing it. If you look at adults, if walking, if our belief in our ability to do things after a few attempts and failing, 
was the test of our ability to, let's say, do something like walk with adults. Most of them were be crawling. Oh, tried that, hit my nose. Tried that, fell down. I'm done. I can't walk. I tried three times. So I think that you have to look and say, okay, is what I, when I look at this fact, I fall down, I've tried to walk and I've fallen down three times. Um, you can look at that and say, you know, I believe I'm closer because I've got three attempts beyond me. I'm doing better than I was because nothing will ever be as bad as the first time I tried. Uh, and that's a great belief that serves you toward walking. But you can also have people to look at that and say, you know what? I just can't do this. I've seen other people do it on the second try. You know, I've seen, you know, some people do it on the fifth try. I tried six times. And, you know, you have two kids. I have two kids. What's so funny is they're both walking today. Um, and once they walk, you don't really remember one, but I'm pretty clear remembering the holidays. I think that Lauren probably walked a couple of months in age before Hillary did. Mm -hmm. And what difference does that make today? You know, none. But what difference would it make if they're adults? Oh my God, you know, she did it. She learned it in a month and it took me three. So what? So I think belief is a necessary ingredient. Let me rephrase that. I think that belief will tell the tale of what, where you end up in life. And if you end up somewhere you like, chances are you're learning to believe in the interpretation of the facts that serves your greater purpose. And if you end up somewhere you don't like, chances are you got to check how you interpreted those facts because if believing that led you to a place you don't want to be, you got to look at the facts again and see if you can adjust what you believe to be true. Yes, I love that. So I think that kind of ties in the idea that perspective is a big part of belief. Perspective on how you interpret you know, the three failures. Does it mean, oh, three strikes and I'm out? Or I've found three ways that don't work. Now I'm going to switch my perspective to how I can apply those things and change my, my belief or my journey or method even along the way. I think perspective is actually everything. I think it's a superpower. And it's interesting, you made a baseball analogy. So I'll go with that for the men that are listening. <laughs> um, a guy hits, th hits, a hits uh, the ball and gets on base three out of 10 times he's in the hall of fame. Mm -hmm. He hits it two out of 10 times he's in the minors. So the difference in that sport between not making the pros and being a superstar is, is 10%. It's one hit out of 10. Yeah. You know, and the, as the difference really talent, I don't know. You were talented enough to get up there to the plate. That pretty much means you probably have the talent. You know, your chances are you train hard. Most athletes do. So ultimately, what did you believe? Because they all hit two out of 10 before they hit three out of 10. It's just who keeps going. And I think that perspective comes into play because so often when we get too close to something, we confuse that which we can actually affect, which would be our circle of influence. Mm -hmm. and that which we are concerned about, and it's valid that we should be concerned about, about things that we can't directly impact. But if we get too focused on the circle of um, concern and move too far away from our circle of influence, we become immobilized and we feel like we can't get anything done. And taking a step back and asking those questions often helps us realign what's actually possible for us to do here. Had, do you fail if you, if you take on something that's impossible? No, you've shown some grit. Now it's time to show some common sense. Yes. <laughs> I think that's so true though. I think people think that 
dusting yourself back up and trying again means trying the exact same path with the exact same tactics and the exact same people and the exact same things and not changing anything and not implementing anything from their experience. It's like, well, you said to get back up and do it again. Right. But use your failures, plug a little bit of common sense into the equation. Think about that and kid figure out the- learning to walk. You see them adjust. Yes. You know what happens so often, and, and this is really important, and it does come down to belief, and it's, again, examining what our focus is, because our beliefs have to be in line with what we're focused on, and so often, people confuse the strategy or the technique or the methodology with the goal, you know, and, and it's it, there's a difference between a tool and a goal, you know, Facebook lives, for example, they're a wonderful tool, mm-hmm. obviously going, there's nothing better than live video, at least at this point, but you know, a year from now, you'll be saying, remember when we thought there was nothing better than live video? Cause things are always changing. For sure. <laughs> but if somebody tells me I can't do it, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can sit there and try to coach them and tell them, oh yes, you can. But let's say they're really in a place where they've got a mental block. Okay. So what? Was your goal to become a star of Facebook lives or was it to go and find a way to connect with people? And if it's to go and find a way to connect with people, just because someone takes Facebook lives away from you or you take them away from yourself or you feel that you're not ready, does that mean that you can't follow the exact same process, just utilizing a different medium, a different tool? Of course you can. And I'll get on the phone with people and they'll go, oh my God, I'm not great at Facebook lives. I just can't do them. And, you know, and I'm not, and, and I, and I feel uncomfortable and, and, and if I can't coach them through it at that moment, if I feel like it's really going to make them quit or they're going to really beat themselves up over too much, I'm like, okay. And I'm never going to be an astronaut. And once upon a time, I thought that sounded really cool. I can still <laughs> look at the stars every night. <laughs> you know, let's go. I love that. I that is that was like a huge aha moment. I'm I'm taking notes over here, people. <laughs> like I am writing these things down, and I think that's so important. Is that sometimes in their journey to becoming better or in their journey of building a business or building an audience or whatever their goal may be, we get so caught up in the tactics and the check boxes and the DMOs. Yes, they're important, but we, it's almost like some people, people sometimes lose sight of the goal because they're so focused on the tools or the strategies or the hacks or the whatever else that they forget what the actual goal is because they're so focused on checking the boxes. And they allow their self-esteem and their feelings about themselves to get tied up in if they're good at something or not, which is so unfortunate because we all of us have certain aptitudes. There's something for, if you're listening, you don't pay attention to it. You don't pat yourself on the back enough for it, but there is something that you just had a natural aptitude for. When it came up, you just click, it clicked for you. You mm-hmm. took to it faster and you were able to achieve proficiency more than most of the people around you. And you don't even, you don't even really imagine that as being difficult because for you, it came with ease. Whereas other people are looking at you going, oh my gosh, you know, how did she do that so quickly? But at the end of the day, it's consistency that gets you where you want to go because natural talents are natural talents. Skill comes through repetition and people get very confused about that. You know, Tiger Woods obviously had a natural ability for golf. He had a talent for it, but it was the consistency over time that developed his skill. 
And if you can't swing a golf club are you, and you don't have a natural ability for it, are you going to be Tiger Woods? Probably not. But through consistency and practice, can you go out and play a round of golf and play it pretty effectively at the amateur level? Of course you can. Yeah. And you shouldn't allow where you're at to get confused with who you are. You shouldn't allow how good you are at doing something to confuse your issue about what you're trying to accomplish and what you're there to do. Because at the end of the day, people care more about the way you make them feel than about how great you are on Facebook Live. Yes, 100%. And I think that is like from looking back at my experience in network marketing and building a business and using the Facebook Lives as a tool and all those types of things is one of the biggest things that built my belief, other than, of course, other borrowing the belief of others, that was the number one thing I did hands down was I'm like, oh, I have no belief, just pour it, I will borrow it until I have enough that I can then give it back to you. But I think the next biggest thing that helped me build my belief in myself and in our organization was the repetition of doing the things that I was uncomfortable with. Just like you said, is I feel like Facebook lives is one of the tools that clicked easier for me. Um, but there were still so many things that I had to get uncomfortable and do anyways, but it was the repetition of like, just keep doing it. Just keep getting in the reps, take the little skill that you have in this thing and just do it repeatedly. And it will eventually build that belief muscle and you'll get to where you're going. I think for a lot of people, you really need to examine what you're telling yourself. Because most of the things that, that we feel make us feel smaller or make us feel um, unworthy are really just tapping into affirming something we've been telling ourselves. And, and, and usually it's tied to not all subjects. So we don't recognize it. There are certain things you know, I love to cook. I'm very comfortable with it. I make great food and I never wanted to be a caterer. So if it's not the prettiest food in the whole world, I, that never bothered me because mm -hmm. I was there for the pure joy of cooking and putting out food that tasted good. So if people would come over and I had people, they would say to me, you know, it doesn't look so pretty. I'm like, okay. Didn't damage my belief in myself at all because I never had a vision of wanting more there. I was really fulfilled. On the other hand, I was always very self-conscious about the fact that um, I wasn't a fashion plate. I wasn't, you know, a person who was like really into all that stuff and that's okay. But it took me till I was probably close to 45 to realize that's okay. Don't be like me. I could gussy up when was necessary. Mm -hmm. if there, I mean, I would look good if there was a formal, I'd put on the fancy dress and I had a good taste, but in day-to-day -day life, I was a girl who was more comfortable in jeans and a uh, shirt, unless I saw a reason not to be. Yeah. But I let that over the years become very intimidating. And I remember freaking out when I would have to speak on stage by how, how everybody else was dressed and I didn't measure up and I would get so neurotic and so upset yeah. and lose all this belief in myself and forget that nobody comes to hear me speak on stage to write a review on my outfit. Right. Okay. That's the reality. It's nice to look nice, but it's important to focus on who you're there for the audience. If you deliver something of value to somebody else that makes them feel better, they don't care if you're wearing a, 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 a you know, a potato sack. Yeah. <laughs> Over the years, I found out that there were a lot of people who the fact that I wasn't perfect 
and I finally embraced it, it made them more comfortable. Yes. Because they could see themselves in me. And that's what you have to understand. Whatever you're struggling with, you want to increase your belief in yourself, let somebody else know that you've got the struggle because their appreciation for making them realize that they're a normal and be not alone is going to do wonders for your ego. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. I, I absolutely love that. That's, that was one of the hardest things for me when I first got started was I would get so wrapped up in the comparison game that I would lose who I actually was. Like everyone says, you know, be yourself, be authentic. But when there's so like in the world of social media, when there's so many people, there's they're dressed this way or their hair's this way or full face of makeup here or perfect here or edited here or perfectly posed here. And you're kind of just like this weirdo that felt like you never really fit in anywhere. It's like, okay, but where do I fit in here? Where does my authentic self fit in here? until you start hearing the thank you for being normal. I needed to see someone normal doing what we're doing in order to have the belief in myself. And I wanna be clear, I have friends that are just, for them, fashion is a love affair and Mm -hmm. they've got that natural aptitude. They've got great design skill. You walk in their house and you you look at it and you're like, oh my God, what decorator did you use? And they're (laughs) like, oh no, I did it. And then you're like, well, where did you get all these gorgeous things? Oh, I picked this up at TJ Maxx and I found that on the front porch, you know, out by the curb. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody was throwing it away, literally. And I painted it and I put new hardware on it. And now it's this. And you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, what a skill, what a talent. And I applaud that because that's who they are. Yes. And I like to try things like that for fun. But if I got up one morning and said, you know, I think I'm going to go be a designer. I think everybody who truly loves me would say, Lisa, you don't want to be broke. Because, <laughs> okay. because who's going to hire me? It's not a natural <laughs> And what I've learned is really copying. You know, I can look at things and I can replicate it and it looks nice. And that's what you have to be willing to do. You're not going to be great at everything, but over time, through proficiency, you will develop proficiency through repetition where you can replicate the result that you need so that you can double down on what your talents are. You know, if there's seven great skills involved in um, the space of network marketing, for example, and, and I'm, it could be it's all how people phrase it, but let's say there's seven. Mm-hmm. Nobody's great at all seven. You don't need to be. You need to have enough of an understanding of how it works and an ability to do it. If whoever you found and matched yourself to that's truly great at that gets sick one day, you want to be able to take care of it. It's sort of like if you own a restaurant, you don't have to be, nobody's asking you to be the cook. But if the cook doesn't show up, you got to be able to have a backup plan to get some food on the table. But so many people, and I think it goes back, and I think this is really where it starts. And we're going to go a little deep here. When... If you were fortunate, and if you weren't, we'll tell you. But most kids grow up hearing, you're outstanding. You can be president of the United States. You can do anything you want. Be outstanding. Mm-hmm. And then you get to kindergarten. And they tell you to fit in. To be like everybody else. If you're too out, if you're too, uh, if you're standing out, they're pushing you back in the line. And your mind's going, well, how do I be outstanding when that's standing out, if I'm supposed to fit in, you can't be standing out and fitting in at the same time. And it's very confusing. And it's a conflict that we carry all of our lives. Yeah. And then we look 
for the evidence, you have two voices inside of you. You have this voice that says you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're not as good as everybody else. You have another voice that says you deserve the very best that life has to offer and you can do it. Whatever it is, you can do it. Go for it. You can do it. Both of them are really small voices. You have to make a decision as to which one you're going to amplify and repeat and repeat and repeat and which one you're not going to make it disappear, but how much time are you going to allow it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have days where I get up and I feel totally inadequate and I have a full blown pity party. I allow myself a good five, 10 minutes. And then I'm like, okay, enough already. We got to go get these six things done. And then if we still want to feel sorry for ourselves, we can come back and we can do that. But what often happens is the act of doing removes or is an anesthetic to those feelings. So here's my suggestion for you. Can I give a stupid suggestion that actually really pays off well? Absolutely. Always. (laughs) For me, cooking is therapy. And we often settle the biggest challenges we have, not by sitting there, you know, telling ourselves we have to do it, staring at the blank page, but by doing something else. The problem is when we get into spiral thinking, we can't think of what else to do and we make it worse. So I would recommend that you keep a list around of things you can get done. All those things you never always said you wanted to do, but never had time to do a list of things you can get done in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and an hour. And, you know, um, one of them could be literally clean out your sock drawer. That's something you can do in about 10 minutes. But if you get up when you're feeling low, and you do something, then you do it well and you finish it and you throw out some old socks and it looks all neat and pretty till you mess it up the next day. But in that moment in time, it looks all pretty. You feel really good because you finished something. You did something. And our body responds to motion and completion. Mm-hmm. We feel great when we get something done. Even the chores we hate the most, we have this incredible feeling of satisfaction when we get them done. So if you keep those lists, whenever you feel that, that sinking feeling where that voice in your head, the the one you really don't want to allow to amplify has amplified beyond your ability to control it. Say, you know what? Okay. I, I surrender voice right now in this moment, I'm pretty incompetent, but I'm good enough to clean a sock drawer. I think I can probably get that done. We'll go get that done and we'll see how we feel when that's over. And when that's over, if you feel better, you know, go back and see it. Like, you know, How do I feel about it? Because it goes back to what you said about perspective. If you want the world to change, you have to change the way that you look at the world. What we believe, what we think, how we do in life is a reflection of the answers that we get to the questions we ask. So logically, we have to, if we want different answers, if we want a different perspective, we have to have new answers. To get new answers, we have to ask new questions. We have to change the focus. Are we looking at the right part of the puzzle? You know, there will always be challenges and problems and half the time your job isn't to solve them. It's to move through without making the problems you are dealing with your fault. Yeah. I think that's super powerful of like, sometimes we don't need to necessarily solve a problem, but think of different questions to ask in the process. Like maybe somebody who's struggling and maybe it's me, maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody within our organizations or our families, but maybe they're just not asking the right question to themselves in order to kind of get this new perspective. And I think 
it's, it really goes to, I feel like I've been hearing a lot this year of like the power of asking questions of what questions are you asking yourself or what questions are you are coming to your mind when you're faced with a challenge? Is it immediately, how is this my fault? Or how can I solve this? Or like, what are the questions that actually come up when you face a challenge? You have to allow yourself for the fact that when you're in a high emotion, when anybody's in a high emotion, reason is not the order of the day. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we're in a state of mind where we can't get the right answers or arrive at the solutions. Of course not. How can we possibly ask the right questions? That's okay. Mm-hmm. that's okay take a break come back because if it's truly a crisis you will respond properly it, when it's truly a crisis our adrenaline takes over and it clears our head and we're able to see with a clarity that is not there the problem is many of us have gotten so good at dealing with things on the fly that we treat everything as a crisis and we allow crisis management to take over when there's no crisis at all and it becomes a habit. And if you're yep. always dealing with things in a crisis that are in a crisis format, you're not going to get great results all the time. If it's not a real crisis, probably your results won't be bad, good at all because you're not judging it clearly. You may feel mm-hmm. like it's a crisis, but your body knows the difference. Even if you, you're intellectually, yeah. you don't at that moment. So can I give people a visual, even though I usually do this visually, but I think this really helps with belief. So you're Absolutely. listening to this. I would love if you would just go get a glass or a bottle and fill it halfway so that you could be staring at it. Uh, Because I want to talk to you about this because this is really sums it up. People confuse truth and facts. Facts are incontrovertible. If you are staring at that glass or bottle that I just had you fill to halfway, um, Some people will look at that bottle and say it's half empty. Some people will look at that bottle and say it's half full. And here's the thing. Both are 100% accurate and 100% true. This is the problem with truth, um, with facts versus interpretation. If you see a bottle that is half empty, and I'm not saying anybody listening to your podcast probably doesn't, but the people (laughs) who do, they tend to be scarcity thinkers. So think about how they're going to respond to that. They're going to think, oh my God, the bottle's half empty. When the water's all gone, there's not going to be any more. And I'm going to die of thirst and I want to live forever. I want to live as long as I can. So they're not going to want to share the water because there's less for them. Mm -hmm. Anybody who comes to try to help them, they suspect is a water thief and they don't want to let them in. So they're all alone. Every day, they're drinking a little bit of water that they can, so they're parched, and every day is miserable. Okay? The people that see the bottle as half full, they tend to be abundance thinkers. So they're kind of like, well, there's more water out there, and I'm going to collaborate with other people. I'll share it because together we'll find the water. Two heads are better than one, and if, if I don't find it, somebody else will find it, and one day they'll go out and publish the great water solution, and the world shall drink. <laughs> Yes. Because the only fact about that glass you're staring at right now is that it is filled to 50% capacity. That's, that's the fact. Half empty, half full, that's interpretation. And what you have to ask yourself is which truth serves me better? Which, which choice 
if I believe the glass is half empty, is that likely to be better or worse for me? Better or worse for my outcomes that I want? Better or worse for my life and the people that are around me? And yes, the same questions on the other side. And if you apply this to your beliefs when you get some perspective, like what are the real facts here? Well, the facts are, if we go back to the baby, she's not walking yet. That's a fact. Another fact is based on all scientific data, she's going to one day. That's a fact. Do I really believe it matters if she walks at 11 and a half months or 12 and a half months? Probably not. Mm -hmm. so, so being upset that she's not walking yet, I'm so excited that she's starting to try walking because I know she's going to do it soon. Which mm -hmm. belief serves you better? That's so, that, I mean, I feel like that one line alone of like, no matter what you are hearing or feeling or thinking is which truth serves you better and run with that truth, like run with that focus and run with that perspective and just use that as your, like your truth to guide you to the next level. Because even like you said, even if you know, I'm starting to get my footing in my business, but I'm not really hitting that next level yet. Okay. But are you making progress or are you seeing your truth as a failure? Which one of those serves you better? It's going to encourage you to always keep aspiring Here, to be better and to move forward and, and impact more people. Here's a fact about business. Business is never done. You're never finished. Because a business is a living, growing thing. And you may come to a point where you want to retire one day, but if it's a business, it has to survive you. That's the nature of, that's the goal. That's mm -hmm. the objective. So today matters in terms of that you face the day, you fought the day and you live to serve another day and you get up to serve another day with the knowledge and lessons of being one day more educated than you were yesterday. Yes. But that's all it is. That's all a day is. Because a good business is, has a lifetime. There's I think business is like dating or all the embarrassing things when you are um, in your high school years. I think you have to apply the five, you know, the two, two, two rule. How much is this? How much is this going to matter to me in two days? How much is this going to matter to me in two weeks? And will I even remember it in two months? And if the answers come out the way I think they will, most of the things you're letting make you doubt your belief in yourself. You're not even going to remember in two months unless you make, you take them into tomorrow with you and you make them more important than they, you make the failure. If you want to see it as a failure, because to me, it's a learning step, mm -hmm. but if you make the learning step more important than the lesson, you will never believe in yourself the way that you should, because the most important thing is I learned the lesson. Yeah. I love that. That's so, so important. So if you could to kind of just wrap this up, if you could share with them two actual action steps that they can do, I know we've talked about a ton of them, but maybe just your favorite two or the two that you have shared with other people that you have seen work with the most wide range of people. I know you work with people all over the world, different cultures, all these languages and everything of what are two action steps that people can do to actually increase their belief um, 
in themselves to do whatever. It doesn't matter if it's business, relationships, whatever, but just two really big action steps that they can take to increase their belief. Okay. First, I think that most people fail to commit to the vision they've created primarily because most people have yet to create a vivid vision. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to clearly, and I'm not talking just about what you want to achieve in your business. You need to decide what you want your life to look like of which your business plays a big part, what you want your life to look like. And you have to keep asking questions so that that vision becomes so clear that you could see it as clearly as if it was a painting on the wall. If you had artistic ability that you could paint it yourself, because the more specific that you are, the more of a guidepost you have mm -hmm. as you live your life. And you have to, and if you create it and you take the time to create it, you will ask the next question and the next question and the next question. Because if the vision is vivid enough and all you already own it, which means you believe it is your destiny. It is the future that you see, which means you believe that you're worthy of it. So the first thing that I would say is clarify and articulate your vision for your life. And every single day, if you can make it, more, no matter how much you think you've clarified it, and you're allowed to adjust as things happen, you want to keep clarifying it. You know, that's the, look at the artist. If I'm not an artist, and when I used to see the tree in the coloring book, I colored it green which was a good accomplishment for that age. You know, you knew that. Yeah. But if you look at a, a great painting, they probably have 30 or 40 different shades of green and technique in those leaves. Mm -hmm. Because that's how clear they their vision became of what they were supposed to look like. That's what you want to do with your life. And the action and, and every day, start off your day every single day the night before. Most people, if I ask them, what time does their day start? They'll tell me 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 10 a.m. No, your day starts at midnight. That's a clock. You know, days run from midnight, uh, actually from midnight to 1159. Mm -hmm. So you want to know when you go to sleep, what are the most important things toward your vision that you have to get done tomorrow? Because there's also going to be a lot of other things you have to do because you have to live your life. Right. The kids have to get picked up. The laundry has to get done. Something's got to give. You might get a lot of things done, but not what you really felt you needed to get done in pursuit of your vision and pursuit of your goal. So always put the top three things that you need to get, that you want to get done or worked on or move forward or put time into the next day and get them done quickly. Get them done first thing in the morning. I um, had this thing, Brittany, where I was not going to get on social media first thing in the morning, or, or email or all of it. And I did that. Mm -hmm. But then I realized I now get on to answer all the important messages I didn't get to from the day before, before I'll look at anything new. Yeah. And it's been a world of difference to me. And that's just that little habitual change. Because that's my second thing. Um don't beat yourself up for what you do habitually. You can't change it with willpower. You can't change it with any of those things. You can only change it by replacing it. So slowly but surely, replace the things you don't like with things that you do that move you towards your goal. 
Can you give an example of that? Sure. Um, uh, an example for me would be keto up. Okay. I like soda mm -hmm. and I don't like sugar-free soda. It doesn't taste right. Yeah. But there's something in keto up that's close. Yep. Wasn't exactly, but I could drink it. So, you know, whenever I would want to go for a Coke, I said, well, let me go drink this and see if it fits the meets the craving. And 99% of the time it does. So I won't tell you that I never drink Coke anymore. I do. Right. So occasionally it, you, you could set a holiday schedule by it. Yeah. But I didn't just decide I'm never going to drink Coke again. I'm going to replace it with water because that wasn't going to work. Right. You know, it just wasn't going to work. Uh, in business, I am not very good compared to other people at various things on social media. Mm -hmm. But I said, okay, but what am I good at? Can I do that on social media? I'm good at talking to people. Yes. You know, so I started talking to people even when people weren't there. So if you look at a lot of my posts, they're conversations with one person that will maybe a lot of people respond to. But to pose myself in front of the mailbox and put a cute trend like, I wonder if I'll get any mail today, that doesn't come naturally to me. I'm learning it, yeah. but I'm integrating my own personality into it. Um, do I'll, I'll give you the best thing in the world for you. It's a third one, but this is the best thing. This is what I live my life by. We are all maximizers. People that want to achieve great things are going to do more than average people. Mm -hmm. You're going to do always be striving to do more. As a matter of fact, if you've ever listened to me before, I'm always saying, make one more, do one more thing when you're exhausted. Yeah. But judge your set, a set your lists at minimums and judge yourself by your ability to hit your minimums every day, because that's how you build consistency. I want to talk to 10 people tomorrow, but I'm not going to go to sleep until I talk to two. Every single day, I will talk to a minimum of two people about X or about Y or about whatever it is yeah. that is your mission. So that on those days that you don't hit six or 10 or five, you'll make sure you get those two done because over time, that's 60 contacts a month. Yeah. You know, that's 720 contacts in a year. What would your business look like if everybody contacted 720 people minimum in a year? Insane. <laughs> I can't even run those numbers in my head. <laughs> Think about it. So make sure that you have a, a goal you're shooting for, but a minimum day. This is what I'm going to get done on those days where life is crazy, on those days where I don't have the hours, but I can find 10 minutes here and 15 minutes there and knock out my minimums and judge yourself based on if you don't hit the minimums, okay, slap yourself around a little. Okay. Get up the next day and do them. But other than that, just keep increasing the minimums as time goes away. I really like that. I think that's going to be super powerful. If you are out there and you are listening as an organization leader, please write that down, striving for maximums and making sure you are completing minimums. That is going to be a very, very powerful business building strategy that you can use, but also that you can really pass down to your teams. Because I feel like a lot of people, they, they join a business for themselves, for their own finances, maybe for the culture, 
But once they come in, they really just want to make their leader proud. And it feels like no matter what they're doing sometimes that it's just like, if I'm not top of the top, then maybe they don't feel seen or maybe they feel a little lost in the shuffle or maybe they just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm fighting so hard to be seen and to make her or him so proud. But if you can give them that, almost that strategy and that permission of like, hey, let's strive high together, but let's make sure that we're completing those minimums. I think that is a super powerful- Actually, I finally got my house organized. That's how you got it organized, you so said? What works in business works in life and what works in life works in business. Yeah, it took me four months going one drawer, one room, one hour, one here and all the spare things. But I kept trying to want to get the whole thing done in a day. It's not doable. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And very often I would start and I would poop out and I looked like it was messier than when I started. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so, so much, Lisa. 